Well, good morning, everybody. Let's go. You having a good summer? Everybody having a good summer? Everybody, let's go. Yeah, I love the summertime. Love the summertime. Man, we've had an incredible summer around here so far, and we know it's not over yet, but man, we've just seen God do some crazy, unprecedented things in the life of our church. And um, so, for instance, as you know, we have a camp called Camp Arrowhead, and we've, we've had more people, yeah, come on, greatest counselors in the world. Greatest camp counselors in the world right there. Let me tell you what these guys have done. I'm about to brag on them a little bit. So we have more kids coming to camp than we've ever had, which is cool, which is cool. However, we've had 110 kids make a decision to follow Christ this summer. Let's go. That's 110 kids whose lives are different, whose futures are different, whose eternity will look different, who will walk in, into life with hope, who will be able to handle, handle difficult times because they know the power of the gospel. So that's awesome. You know, we also had the escape, our, our summer uh, camp for our high school and middle school students. It's your cue. You know, at the escape, we had 31 kids begin to follow Jesus at the escape, like un unbelievable. And as you can see, man, God's gotten a hold of their hearts. Y'all probably had a worship service somewhere last night, didn't you? Right? And nobody organized it. Y'all just got together. Um, man, this, this crew is amazing. God's doing some really crazy work. You know, also had a personal milestone in my life uh, last weekend. My son and daughter-in-law had a baby. And uh, yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, you know, and I know it, when you show pictures of infants, let's just be honest, newborns are, they're all small, wrinkled and red, aren't they? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, but, and, and everybody's all like, oh yeah, they, they usually are, but mine's not. That's not true. You're a liar. And so, but I can't go by without showing a picture. So I found the cutest picture I could find of my little girl yawning. Her name is Sage and that's cute because she's yawning. I think they were playing a podcast to one of my sermons while she did that. But, uh, and then of course the beautiful picture of her grandmother, my wife holding her in the hospital. So man, what a blessing. So proud of them. Uh, they're going to be awesome parents. God's done a great work in their life and we're grateful for that. So it's been, it's been, it's been quite the summer around here and we are in the book of James. We are in the series on the book of James and we've done a great job of walking through the book of James. And so I love James because James is just like, Hey, let's roll our sleeves up, get our hands dirty kind of faith. How do we make this practical? How do we live out this faith, this belief in Jesus that we say we have? What does it look like on the ground? And one of the things that we're going to look at today is James is going to be like, hey, don't be a fence straddler, right? You got, you got to be all in. You can't be all in and just be halfway in. You can't just dip your toe in the water. You ever heard this phrase, straddling the fence? You've heard this phrase? Let me tell, let me tell you a story about what that looks like. So, so when I was a kid, nine years old, we're in my backyard and we're having a water balloon war with some, some friends in the house that was behind ours. And so we're just going back and forth in the yard, throwing water balloons. Anybody, y'all still do that? Y'all have had water balloon fights before, right? You know how it is. I mean, it's not, it's not as nice as it sounds. It can get pretty painful. And so we're throwing water balloons. And so we go running into my back door while they're throwing water balloons at us because we had unloaded all of our weapons on them. And so now they're coming at us. And as we scramble in the back door of my house, water balloons are coming in over our heads, right? Some of them burst, some of them don't. And so we take the ones that haven't burst and we grab them and we run back out ready for war. And so we run back and they start running towards the other house. And then all of a sudden, my sister comes running out. Now, my sister is quiet, introverted, mild-mannered, a lot like I am. <laughs> and I'm wondering, what is she doing? And she is yelling. And, and what had happened is as we ran in the house, we had a cat. Now, you know something bad's coming now, right? 
And we had a high strung cat and something triggered in that cat's brain. All cats are evil. So something triggered in that cat's brain and that cat is attacking my sister all the way into the yard. My mom's running behind her with a broom. I turn around and look and I would like to say that I went and rescued my sister from the cat, but I did not. I ran and jumped over the fence. Now, how many, you've seen a chain link fence like they have around construction sites? Listen, I'm from South Mississippi, not Milton. We didn't have a nice little horse fence, right? We had a chain link fence. I jump over the fence and I realize on the other side of the fence is Brownie, my neighbor's dog, who has bitten me multiple times. So now I look over on that side of the fence is the cat and on this side of the fence is the dog. I feel like I'm in Sandlot. And so I jump on the fence and I'm literally on this chain link fence not knowing what to do. Both sides seem dangerous and I'm stuck. That's what straddling the fence is. It's when you get stuck. It's when you don't make a decision about which way you're going. It's when you try to put one foot in, one foot out. You're, you're a little bit hesitant. You waffle just a little bit. So that's what straddling the fence is. And there's so many times straddling the fence does not work. You know, in marriage, straddling the fence doesn't work. If you say, till I change my mind, do us part, that, that doesn't work. You know, in parenting, straddling the fence does not work. Man, and in following Jesus, straddling the fence doesn't work. Amen, somebody? James is going to teach us today what it looks like to go all in. James is going to help us be able to take that step because here's what James knows. James, being Jesus' brother, growing up with Jesus, seeing his work, being someone who was all out and then going all in, James knows that if we're not careful, we'll miss it. And we'll miss the life that God offers. We'll miss the joy that we can live with. We'll miss the hope that we can look towards and look forward to in our future if we miss this. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're going to just start out in verse 1. I'm going to work down through verse 10 today. James chapter 4, um, starting in verse, verse 1. And I, it's going to feel a little harsh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we go along, because James is just one of those guys. But watch what happens. Let's read through verses 1 through 3 um, to start with. James says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Now, now you know that pa passions at war within you. Have, have you ever had that experience where you're like, ah, I, I, part of me wants to part of me doesn't. Ah, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to do that, but I didn't do that. I should have done that, but I didn't do that. And this is what James is saying. And he's saying that what's happening on the outside, the conflict and chaos on the outside that we experience comes from where? Comes from right here, right? It comes from the inside. They're at war within you. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. So he's just called you murderers right there, black and white. Now it's going to get worse. So don't be offended yet. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So it's like, then, and then here we have this tension of prayer. So James just begins out with some very difficult language and very forthright and honest language. Now, just a couple things to point out. What James is painting the picture of is this idea is that there's God's wisdom and then there's the world's wisdom. Amen, somebody? Right? There's God's wisdom because God created the world. God knows how the world works. And if we will follow his wisdom, then we will be closer to him. 
and we'll understand more of who he is and more who he's created us to be. And then there's the world's wisdom. And the world's wisdom is opposed to God's wisdom. Now, whenever in the Bible, when you're reading and you see the world and the world's wisdom, it's just anything that will take you away from God's wisdom. So the world has certain systems, certain messages, certain values, certain belief systems that they've set up that are opposed to God. The world just thinks differently. So for instance, the world would say image is everything. And we see that every day if we look at social media. The world would have a different sexual ethic, a different moral ethic. It would have a different financial ethic than God would have. And when we begin to follow that, what, what he's saying is it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause you a problem. And now James is, uh, if you notice his language, James is just one of those no-nonsense kind of guys. You ever had anybody like that in your life? Like he's just honest. His nickname was James the Just because he just put a fist in your face. That's what that means. Uh, uh, but he just, he told the truth. He was honest. He didn't pull any punches. He was the kind of guy that if you met him and shook hands for the first time, it was very firm. It was one that you, you better squeeze back or you're going to break a, you're going to have a, you know, a bone broken in your hand. You met guys like that. You met people that just kind of like a dead fish. You hate that. It's just gross, right? Like I'm out on that, but <laughs> shakes hand. James is that way. And I love this about James. And so he just told the truth. Like if he were to work in your corporation, you, you would put him through some kind of training because we've all been taught when we have to deliver some challenging news, the Oreo principle, you know this principle, right? Anybody heard of the Oreo principle? Okay, here's how it goes. Um, you have, if you wanna tell somebody something bad, what you do is you start off with something really good. You tell them something positive and then you hit them with the negative thing, right? And then you close out again with the, with the positive. So you have this Oreo, good, bad, good. So James was like, the heck with that. He just scraped the cream off in his mouth because that's all he was sharing with you. I mean, he did not care. And I think there was a reason behind that. I mean, he's not trying to be harmful. He's trying to be helpful. See, see James knew that we would have this tendency to get distracted and that we would start out strong. We would start out doing the things that God living that God wants us to do, living the life that God wants us to live, but then we'd get mixed messages. Man, we get tired. Our habits would change. Our routines would change. I mean, we'd get hazy and we'd begin to waffle. And James is like, no, 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 no. You need to remember not to straddle the fence. And so James just meets us with some language that's just in our face. You know, he uses this word passion right here. When he says that passion's at war within you, and then he talks about praying wrongly because you want to spend it on your passions. And this word for passion is where we get our word hedonism from, hedonism. And so hedonism is just this belief system that my pleasure is my highest priority. Like that life's about me, and I, I need to, you know, you only live once, which is true, but it's just not all here. And that's what the world would believe that everything is right here. And hedonism is like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Hey, we live in a very hedonistic culture. Would you agree with that? Amen, somebody? Like we live in, with so much comfort. Can you say Netflix binge watching? Like how many of us have done that just because we wanted to and we plan our days and we plan our lives around our pleasure and our comfort. And James says, this is gonna lead, this is gonna lead to conflict. It's gonna lead to quarrel. It's going, to be, it's going to be a problem. And so what he's going to teach us is that tr when pleasure becomes my priority, my pleasure becomes my problem. Right? Because when it becomes my priority, everything's about me. i got to focus on that. And then when it doesn't happen, what ends up happening is problems begin to emerge in my life. 
right? Conflict, anxiety, depression, uh, selfishness, and that's what happens. So just want you to think about this one for just a second. History is going to write the book on COVID-19 for us. Man, like the, the, the wildest thing many of us have ex- experienced to, to this point in our lives. And they're going, to write, they're going to write the story. And our grandkids and our kids' grandkids, they're going to read about COVID-19 in the United States that 500,000 people died. And they hoarded toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper. Like that, 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 that's one of the things that we'll be known for. Now, if you think toilet paper is necessary, you should go to Africa because they're doing pretty well without it. And we weren't hoarding albuterol inhalers to handle our asthma or antibiotics. We were hoarding things. And what happens when you hoard is you're, you're, you're hoarding it to keep it away from somebody else. Just a few months ago, the pipeline was uh, in danger Anybody, were you, did, you, did you go to get gas and couldn't get gas? Why? Because people were grabbing it. Literally, someone was putting gas into a garbage bag. Can't use it, just hoarding. Because what happens when you begin to be selfish and life's about me, I have to hoard to be sure that I have enough. And if I'm hoarding for me, then I'm, I'm holding out on you. And if I'm holding out on you, then I have this belief system about you that you're not as important as I am. And if you're not as important as I am, that leads to contempt. And contempt is a form of hate. Now, now watch, watch how this works. When, when, when James calls us murderers, we would, we would probably say, well, I, I haven't killed anybody. Like this week at least, like that hasn't happened. But if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He says, if you've hated in your heart, it's the same thing as murder. Because it's the same motivation. It's the same heart direction. It's the same, it's the same tendency that we all have. And so James is just trying to point out, listen, when we're all about our pleasure, it's just a death spiral. And we can look around and see exactly how polarized our country is right now. Have you noticed this? We, we can pick any issue, and I've never lived in a time where, issue, where beliefs were so extreme. Mask, no mask. Vaccination, no vaccination. Democrat, Republican. Dogs or cats? I mean, well, that, nobody cares about that one, but... Um, <laughs> We're polarized, and this is why, because we've turned in this culture that's all about us, and nobody wants to go first. Like, nobody, nobody wants to go first. Nobody, nobody wants to give up something to go first. They, they want you to go first. They don't want to ask for forgiveness first. They don't want to take a back seat first. Nobody wants to go first. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you sacrificed to go first? Like, when's the last time you took an opportunity, maybe you, even when you could have been taken advantage of, even when you could have been wronged, to go first? Hey, husbands, when's the last time you went first in your marriage? Like, when's the last time you took responsibility to, to, to take over all what, the household work for a day so your wife could not? When's the last time you decided you'd show up to pick your kids up from that event just to give your wife a break? Man, life doesn't go well when somebody doesn't go first. Have you noticed this? And there's so many areas of our life where we put ourselves and we make it about us. And then it just deteriorates into problems that we have. And that's what James is trying to warn us about. Think about a marriage where it's all about one person, right? Think about how that goes. Any of y'all tried that? Yeah, it it doesn't go so well. I think I did that for a couple months and it didn't go so well. I heard this this week from a guy, a couple, they've been married 75 years. It was in the news and says, they asked him, what's the key to being married a long time? He said, marrying the right person. 
I'm like, that's the stupidest marriage advice I've ever heard. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm not the right person and neither are you for anybody, right? You never marry the right person. If you're trying to marry the right person, what you're saying is that person's going to meet my needs. That person is going to complete me. That person is going to make me happy. And that's just not the way marriage works. That's not the secret to a long lasting marriage. The secret to a long lasting marriage is the grace of God. And the fact that two people will look at each other and say, ah, I'm not going to be right today. I'm going to let you go first today. I'm going to be first at going last today. And marriages work. It doesn't work when one person makes it all about them. Another area we, we do this is in our careers. Have you noticed this? We'll even, we'll, we'll, we, we want to be first and we want God to put us first, even his own agenda for our jobs. Like, God, man, I, I've got this potential and I know you want to fulfill your potential. Will you make my dreams come true like he's Walt Disney? And God's like, and if you put all your hope in your career, you're going to always be disappointed because you're not created to put your hope in your career. You're created to put your hope in Jesus. Man, and if you do this, if we begin to live for today and our pleasure and our passion, we have no category for suffering in the world. And we're all going to face suffering. Man, some of you are going through some struggle right now. You're going through suffering right now. And the category that you need is there is a God who's involved. And while you might not can see what's happening and you might not know what's going on behind the scenes, he desperately loves you. And the reason why you showed up today was so you could hear about his grace. Listen, we need to move our eyes beyond the temporary into eternity. And we need to take a long view of what life does. And the world's wisdom never takes a long view. What can I do now? How can I please people now? How can I get what I want now? And a better way to live is to not straddle the fence temporary eternity, but to go all in on eternity. He talks about prayer here. And I feel like maybe we've all had this tension in prayer when he says, you, <laughs> he says, you, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrong to spend it on your passions. You, you don't have because you don't ask. And have you ever had that experience where you wanted to pray something like, I don't know if I can pray that. That feels a little selfish right there. You know, like, can I, can I? And then you have the tension that Paul says, you're supposed to pray about everything. Like, you're just supposed to pray about everything. You're supposed to be in this constant communion with God. But now James is saying you're getting it wrong. Like, James, what's up with that? And I think sometimes when we look at certain things that we want, you can almost make every prayer request selfish, right? I mean, almost everything you're praying for. If, you're, if you need something and you pray for it, it could come across as selfish. I mean, you could say on a certain level that I began to follow Jesus because I want to avoid hell. Like, that feels selfish to me, but seems also a good option. And so, <laughs> but I think what can happen is that when we get in those situations where we're praying something and we can't tell if it's selfish or not, it's not to stop praying for it. But there, there's a guy named George Mueller, one of the heroes of the faith. How many of you guys have heard of this guy, George Mueller? So some of you have, if you haven't, you really should pick up some stuff and read about him. He is a fantastic individual. But his, in his prayer life, one of his teachings was this. He says he would pray about things until he didn't care if he got them or not. He was completely neutral on them. And then he would know that he was not being selfish about it. And maybe for you, that's the thing. You need, to, you need to keep praying for it, but you need to keep praying that so that God could either grant it the way you want it or change you to the, believe the way he wants it for you, to transform your heart. Now, we're going to go on in, in verse 4, and again, it, it's going to get a le- even a little bit more harsh in your face. It says this in verse 4, you adul- adulterous people. So he's just gone from 
murderers, now you're an adulterer. So sorry about that. Um, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now, what he means by that is when you begin to follow Christ, you're a new creation, you have a new heart, and he puts his spirit within you. So what James is pointing out here is that, man, God's looking out for us. He's given us life, and he wants us to go all in to his kingdom. But in, in verse 6, he says these words, which are profound and almost unexplainable. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so you have James going in on this this idea of the world and being a friend with the world and God and being a friend with God. So you have this tension. And so what James is challenging us to do is to decide who will define us. Like who's going to define you? Is it going to be the world or is it going to be God? So someone who's defined by God just wakes up every morning saying, God, you created this. And they live a life of gratitude that results in joy. Do you know people who are just full of gratitude? They're just thankful. Like, and when they call you, you know what you do? You answer. Because they're just good to be around. And you know people who aren't grateful. And when they call, you know what you do? Yes, you do. You ignore it. You don't want it. You're like, I don't, I don't know if I have time for this right now. Man, when you begin to see life through eyes of gratitude that God has given you. You wake up in the morning and you're grateful for the sunrise and you're grateful for a little bit of rain that will water your grass. You're grateful for the relationships that you have, the family dynamic that you have, and the glass is always half full. It doesn't mean you don't acknowledge and uh, be honest about struggles and tragedy and pain and death and sickness and brokenness. Those are terrible but it does mean that you look with trust towards that God who is good and who's going to come through for you. Now, now the other way that we look, the other friend that we can make is with the world. And when you make friends with the world, again, that's anything that's going to take you away from God. And when you make friends with the world, you begin to make life about you. And you begin to live with this sense of entitlement. Entitlement. I'm entitled. I deserve. I'm owed. And when you live with entitlement, there is a necessary outcome of behaviors and feelings and lifestyle that go with that type of belief system. Let me just point out a couple of, of words that if you feel like you're deserving, one of the words that you, that's going to categorize you is a discouragement. It can be discouraged because if you deserve something and, and your neighbor or friend or brother-in-law got more than you, you're going to be like, ah, this always happens. Like, I'm I, I, I always going to be focused on what I don't have. I'm, al- I'm always going to be discouraged. Because somebody's always going to have a better house, a better spouse, a better family, a better car. Someone's always going to have one better. And you're going to just be discouraged. You know, another word that will categorize you and characterize you is the word depressed. Because you're going to be like, man, this is just the way it's going to be. You have no hope for the future. You won't think beyond what you don't have. You won't think beyond the, the, the current circumstance to look for hope into your future. You can live with depression. You'll also live with insecurity because what will happen is you won't get the promotion or you won't have the kids or your kids won't do what they did or your kids did something their kids didn't do or you don't have the clothes or you don't have the toys and you're going to feel like, what's, what's wrong with me? They got it and I didn't. I, I must be defective. 
And these words began to characterize our lives. You know, another word that will characterize it is debt. Because you will go into debt to buy things that you don't really need. To impress people that you don't really know. And to think they're going to provide some level of permanent satisfaction. Debbie and I, Debbie, um, we were at an estate sale yesterday. Because Debbie likes to go to estate sales. And I like being married, so I go with her. (laughs) And so we're at this estate sale. And we're walking through. And I just want you to think about this. At the end of your life, they have an estate sale. Strangers are rummaging through your house buying your stuff for pennies on the dollar. But we go to a lot of trouble to buy it, accumulate it, and to have it. And we went home and we just got rid of every single thing we had in the house. We had to eat on the floor. It was terrible. <laughs> and this is the lifestyle. It's a, and it's, a, it, it's just like this hamster wheel and we can't get off and it doesn't bring satisfaction. Let me ask you, who defines you? Is it the world and what they say is important? Is it your friends? Is it social media? Is that what defines you? Or, or does God define you? And James would say, don't straddle the fence. Let God define you. And then these next few verses, starting in verse 7, James says this. He says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. That's just wild, James. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, now I kind of skipped over that phrase that I started out with in verse 6 when he said he gives more grace. And he gives grace when we do those things that I just listed. The reason why we can't just do the things we know we should do all the time and not do the things we know we shouldn't do all the time is because we need help. And that's where grace comes in. Man, grace is strong enough to overcome our past and to pave the way to our future. Grace is strong enough to forgive our sin, but also to use it and leverage it for someone else's good. And so, so many people walk in with some sin, some question, some confusion. Man, in God's grace, it says he gives more grace. When does he give more grace? Every single time. What does that mean? There is always more. There's always more. There's more grace for your heartache, for your brokenness, for your tragedy. There's more grace for your addiction, your temptation. There is more grace. How do you get there? I mean, how, how can we see God's grace? James lists 10 words here, 10 words that should characterize our lives. I'm just going to walk through four of them uh, in our time, for the rest of our time together. The first one he says is humble yourselves. He says he opposes the proud. He's going to fight the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, now we've, we've heard humble defined as, one way that you can define humble is that it's not thinking less of yourself. It doesn't mean you, you talk about how bad you are. It doesn't mean you diminish yourself. It doesn't mean you beat yourself down. You're not a doormat. It doesn't mean that. It just means you think about yourself less. You're not the point. I, I like a guy that says this. He says, you have to become an expert in your weakness. Do you ever notice how we're expert in other people's weakness? Like, like students in here, let's be honest. You, you know your parents' weaknesses, don't you? Right? Am I right? Come on, raise your hand, Sarah Muller. Come on. 
Man, I'm an expert in everybody else's weakness. I can tell them what they did wrong. I can tell them what they said was wrong. I can tell them what they should have done or shouldn't have done. But sometimes if I'm not careful, what happens is I forget to remove the log out of my own eye to point out speck in someone else's eye. And I become an expert in their weakness. And then I, what do I want? I want grace. I want mercy. I want forgiveness. What do I want for you? Usually justice. And when you're humble, you just become an expert in your own weakness. It's the first thing James points out to us. Next thing he says this is resist the devil. Resist the devil. Now, now this is a unique one that I wanted to point out because a lot of times we just don't even acknowledge the fact that Satan's at work, evil exists, and demons are active. We, we don't have a category for that, especially in the Western mindset. And as C.S. Lewis, sometimes we give the devil too much credit and sometimes we don't give the devil enough credit. Like you, if you got up to come to church today and you had a flat tire, maybe you shouldn't have run over that nail. I don't know that Satan did that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But we need to have a category and specifically what we need to understand is that there are times when we have thoughts, negative thoughts, and that's where they're coming from. Because nobody talks to you more than you do. Nobody remembers your lies more than you do. Nobody remembers your sin more than you do. And when these thoughts come into our mind, we need to just be able to say, no, no, no. There is more grace. I, I don't have to live with this thought. Jesus has overcome this. This is not what's true about me anymore. And we need to be able to reject that. Now, that's easier said than done. Amen, somebody? Like, it's easy to remember the negative. It's easy to remember that. And so we, it is a battle. That's why he says resist. He's like, put your fighting clothes on because this is going to be a war. When he says resist the devil, it reminds me a little bit of my sister running away from that cat in my backyard that day. Like, she is getting out of there. And that's what we need to do. When we face temptation, we need to not do those things. We, we need to not put ourselves in any environment where we know we're going to be prone to sin and to fall short. Like, we all have different things we struggle with. Like, there's some th things that, that I struggle with that you have no problem with. And there are some things that you have no problem with um, that you have problems with that that I, would, that, I would, that I don't struggle with. And so we don't need to put ourselves in any environment or situation we know that's going to happen. You know, another way that we resist the devil is just by doing the things we know we should do. Like it feels easy at times. If I would just do what I know I should do, then I am resisting Satan's work in my life because I got a clean conscience. I, I made this uh, a, a couple months ago. I started this thing like if, if somebody comes to my mind, I'm texting them or calling them, no, no matter who it was, no matter if I'd seen him in forever. And I know sometimes that can be a little, a little bit challenging because you're like, what are they going to say if they haven't talked to me in a while? Like, are, are they going to be mad at me? Are they going to, because I don't know, I haven't talked to them. So first time it happened, back in June, I picked my phone up, I called him, and the dude cussed me out on the telephone. No, he didn't really. You know that didn't happen. Because <laughs> that's not what's going to happen. But I'll tell you a cool story that happened. It was a Sunday. I was traveling. Uh, Monday morning, I woke up, and a guy's name just popped in my mind. I'm like, okay. And not, not someone I normally text, so I just texted, said, hey, praying for you today. And, and texted me back. He says, oh, you must have heard. My mom died last night. I, I didn't know that. Now, I, I'm not trying to make that some kind of hocus-pocus, look-what-God-does kind of mystery. But I'm just saying there are times when God's going to prompt us, and we should do that. Someone comes to mind. A need comes up. We should just help. We should live that way. That's one way. Another way, we'll resist the devil. Hey, humble. 
resist the devil. Draw near to God. He says, this, he says draw near to God. And in drawing near to God, there's different ways that you can do that. And I think that the, the reason why this one is so important is because you're drawing near to something. And if you don't do it intentionally, you're going to do it by default. And so what James is saying is you want to draw near to God. Your parents' faith is not enough. Your friend's faith is not enough. You don't have to answer for that. <clears throat> when we stand before the Lord, that's not the question we're going to get answered. We need to draw near to God. So why? So he'll draw near to us. And there's ways that we do that. Primarily, we do that through God's word. One of the things that we say around here is when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. God wants to speak words of life into us. And this is one of the ways that he does it supernaturally. He transforms our heart. He takes our heart and molds it and shapes it to be the person that he's created us to be, to live the fullest life that we could possibly live. That's how we draw near to God. There's other ways. You know what? You know another great way to draw near to God is to participate in a worship service, with online, in person. Like how good is it just to be together to be able to worship? Like there's something God does in your soul that you can't even articulate that draws you closer to him. You know, when we pray, we're drawing near to God. We're casting our cares before him. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Then he says this, <clears throat> Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, double-minded just means that we're, we're trying to live in both worlds, right? We're, we've got a divided mind. That's when I say, whenever you say this thing like, oh, I can't decide, what do I do? Part of me wants to do this and part of me wants to do that. It's because your mind is divided on whatever that issue is. And we need help with that. And when we're able to live with this purity of mind, it just makes our lives that much more potent, and what happens is this purity of heart, what it does, it leads to proximity with God. That's what happens. When our lives aren't straddling anymore, we're not double-minded, what happens is it leads to proximity with God. And don't you want God to be close? And don't you want God to be a part of what's happening? Don't you want God to show up when you need him? And this is one of the ways that James is teaching us. That's how we get there. And we, this means we have to let go of certain things in life. So third question for the day, what area of your life are you holding on to? Like what areas? Because here's been my experience. Everybody just throw everything out at one time. Man, you don't just wake up and say, all right, I'm out. Divorce, I'm getting rid of my kids and I'm going to be a heroin addict. Like we don't generally go all the way like that. It's kind of this, it's kind of this drift over time. And we begin to pick things up that God's supposed to have. And even at one point, we may have given those things to him, but we begin to pick them up and we begin to hold on. And then the next thing we know, we're living for the world's wisdom and we're, we're kind of straddling the fence. And God says, no, 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 you can't do that. What area of your life are you holding on to? Is it a relationship? Man, is it, is it this desire for the future, this dream that doesn't seem to be coming true? Is it finances? Man, is it your time? Like, what is it that you're holding on to that's, that's holding you back? You know, as I was preparing this message and thinking about George Mueller, I just was reading his story again. And <clears throat> I want to read a couple of things about his life. It could feel a little bit deflating, but I want it to be inspiring for us today because he's just one of the heroes of the faith. You know, as I said, he built uh, a lot of orphanages in England. So 
in his day, and it was the late 1800s, he built five orphan houses and cared for 10,000 orphans in his life. When he started, there were accommodations for 3,600 orphans in all of England, and over 7,500 children were in prisons because they had nowhere to put them. Like, imagine that. He inspired others. 50 years after he began his work, there were 100,000 beds for orphans in England just because of his work. He, he did all this while preaching three times a week from 1830 to 1898. That's like 60 years. He preached at least 10,000 times. When he was 70, he fulfilled a lifelong dream of missionary work. And for the next 17 years, he traveled to 42 countries, preached an average of once a day, and addressed 3 million people after he was 70. At 92, right before he died, he wrote this. I have been able every day and all the day to work and that with ease as 70 years before. When his funeral was held, tens of thousands of people stood along the route of the parade. Men left their workshops and offices, their elegant homes or humble kitchens to pay a last token of respect. He said a thousand children gathered for a service at the orphan house because for a second time they had lost a father. He had read the Bible from end to end 200 times. He had prayed in millions of dollars for orphans and never asked anyone directly for money. He never took out a loan or went into debt. And none of his orphans or him ever went hungry. And that's somebody that's all in right there. That's somebody that didn't straddle the fence, man. And his life echoes in eternity. Man, don't you want that? And then we have the example of Jesus went all in. Hey, can I just tell you about him? And when we were far from God, when we ignored God, when we drifted and waffled, he never wavered. He set his face towards Jerusalem to go and hang on the cross, and he went all in. He didn't just suffer for us. He died so that we could have life. James saw this and knew this and understood and experienced that it offered him the best life possible. This is Jesus. Let's pray together. So God, I'm just challenged by James' words. Man, can't wait to meet him. Man, can't wait to just see his face, to hear his challenges, to tell him thank you, to hear his stories. And God, I pray that we would just be challenged today in love, that, man, there's just so much more that's available. There's so much more life, and we hear so many lies. We see so many mirages, man, so many things that are false and can't deliver. And God, I just pray you'd help us to see that, just to be all in and be able to recognize areas of our life where we're not and to turn those over to you. You know, as we just take a moment just to ask ourselves a question, man, what areas of your life are you not all in? Let's just take a brief moment, just heads bowed, eyes closed. What area is it? Where have you, maybe you started strong and you backed up or you just got afraid and you didn't know how God was going to come through. There is more grace. You know, maybe for you, you've tried, quote, God and church, and you've attended services, and you've 
brought your kids because you knew it was good, but you know you're not, you're not all in. And man, today's the day you want to go all in. You're tired of playing. You're tired of, wa- tired of waffling. You don't want it to be hazy anymore. And I just want to lead you in that prayer of commitment for that today. And the Bible is pretty clear. When you commit to follow God, he, he immediately comes alive in your heart and begins to work a new work in your life. And so if you'd like that today, I'm just going to pray. And you can just pray in your own heart, in your own seat, just with our head bowed and eyes closed. Dear God, I haven't been all in. I now understand that you died for me. I trust that Jesus went all in and paid the penalty for my sin. I commit to follow him. And God, I need more grace. You know, if that was you today, I just want to help you take a moment just to mark this time. This is significant, July the 11th. 12, 15. You want to be able to look back on this day and say, that's the day. When you hear the lies in the future, you say, no, 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 no. I'm not yours anymore, Satan. I belong to Jesus. So I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand on the count of three just to mark the moment. On the count of three, if that was you, one, two, three. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, can we just celebrate those that just raised their hand real quick? Awesome. So, God, we know it's not easy and we're opposed, but you have so much more for us. God, we're selfish. I'm selfish. God, comfort seems so good. Man, a nap and a TV show so many times can feel better than actually getting out and going to my group or giving my money, Lord, or uh, serving someone who needs help, God. But you just give us the courage and the energy and the focus, God, to be all in. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.